Hey everyone, this is Becoming a Bible Nerd. I'm Carrie Hunt, and I am so glad that you are joining us. We believe this ancient Eastern text was never meant to study alone, so we choose to do it in community. We will take one book a semester, one chapter a week, and really dig in to understand the context and the culture that the book was written in, so that we can better understand how to plow what God was saying to our lives. Our goal is to equip you and your community to fall in love with Jesus because you have fallen in love with his word. This season, we're going through the book of 1 Corinthians, and Today's episode is 1 Corinthians chapter 4, Imitate Me. <coughs> that was a lot to say, and I needed to cough the whole time. Um, so this, this chapter is going to be more of the same, so bear with me. This is the last chapter that we're really going to hit hard on their need to humble themselves. And then we're going to get into some nitty-gritty hard things that's going to step on the Corinthians' toes, that's going to step on our toes, and it's truly things that we're going to have to digest and chew and decide. Are we going to be the followers that God has called us to, or are we going to do things um, our own way? And so it's really going to get interesting. It's probably, it is, it, we are going to touch topics that affect and are addressing every single one of us. And so it's going to be really fun because we have the opportunity to embrace it and grow or to push it and say, no, thanks. This is not what I signed up for. So in chapter four, before we get started, Paul once again is encouraging these people to follow Christ and not a person. And so he's going to <coughs> address them and give them um, examples so that they can see that they are just servants of God, that they are no one worthy of being elevated. Their names are not supposed to be known. It's Jesus's name who's supposed to be known on the earth. And so for us to get started, I want us to understand really what Paul's role is in the church. He is an apostle. And while that is a biblical or spiritual term to us, that was just an everyday term in the, the culture of that day so that they could understand, they knew what that meant. But for us, it's more of a biblical term that if somebody said, well, what, what is exactly apostle? Well, I don't know. That's what Paul was. So let's look at what exactly the um, office of apostleship is. The word apostle means one who is sent off. And the idea here is Paul is saying that he was sent with a specific divine commission to represent Jesus to the Gentile world, that God himself commissioned and sent Paul off to be an example of or a representation of him to the lost people in the Gentile world. It's Jesus who should be getting known as Paul travels with the other apostles and with other gifted teachers and prophets. These this, these offices that we're going to talk about are given to the church by God. He, whenever you are born or before you're even born, when you're in your mother's womb, he appoints certain gifts on us to carry out. And some people get one of these offices. There's prophets, apostles, pastors, teachers, and evangelists. And every organization needs all the whole point of them are to fit together like a puzzle piece because not one person can encompass everything that is needed to advance the kingdom of God. Because the, uh, the, these offices really take 
very different personality traits. And so one personality cannot function in all of these. So the purpose is to blend these together so that they can be a strong body accomplishing many things. So we know that out of these gifts that Paul carries the mantle of apostle. In Ephesians 2.20, God tells us that his house, being the church, is built on a foundation. You know the foundation is the most important structure that has to go in first and it has to be done a certain way so that the house can withstand the test of time. So this foundation is built on apostles and prophets. So the church, the church is not built on pastor, not built on worship leader, not built on um, someone that is on the platform, it is built on apostles and prophets. Now, the um, I do want to say where G he does Jesus or um, the Holy Scripture points out that Jesus is the cornerstone and the whole building is put together by him and on him and he will grow his holy sanctuary. But we are called to build with build with apostles and prophets. We see this early on in Acts when they are building the church in the Gentile world in Antioch. In fact, it it mentions that Paul and Barnabas are there, and then it mentions three other men, and they are from all over different ethnicities, and their gifts are teachers, prophets, and apostles, and they all get together and function in their own gift. And when they sought the Lord and when they ministered to the Lord, the Lord, it doesn't say, but we can assume, spoke to the prophets and said, hey, Paul and Barnabas need to be sent out. We're you need to commission them to be spokesperson in my name, apostles that are sent out. And so all of this happened because different people were functioning in the gifts that were given to them to start this global church. <clears throat> So, also something that I was thinking about in this, if you really, my husband and I have been studying this for um, the past six months because this is just something that is briefly mentioned in church, but we've never really been taught exactly what that should look like. And so we've been digging into scripture and reading books on people um, that people have written to help us understand this. But um, my conclusion through my study, and I'm not anywhere near done, but that each the body of Christ is organic, meaning it cannot be canned. It cannot be manufactured. It, there, There's not just a let's write out a rule book exactly of what you are to do. Just like the word of God isn't doesn't have a parenting manual. Don't we wish that there's a chapter in there for parents alone and this is what you're supposed to do, A, B, C, and D? Well, no. Each individual child needs a little bit different um processes of how we raise them, how we rear them, how we handle them, because family is organic and everyone is different in it. And so what you do for one child isn't the same that you do for another child. So God didn't include a manual in the Bible to tell us exactly how we have to rely on the Holy Spirit to give us wisdom. And I believe the same is true at the different locations of the body of Christ. I don't think that it's a one size fits all. I think that Every location that God raises up, he draws in a particular people with a particular set of skills, and it's the job of the apostles, 
and the prophets and the teachers and the evangelists and the pastors to hone in, to seek the spirit and say, who have you brought to the table? What gifts do they have? And show us how to use them so that the plan that you have for this house can be accomplished. And so it really is something where the apostles, this is kind of hard for us to understand because we don't see this, the apostleship um, mantle being used in the church, but they're basically the builders. Remember, they're setting the foundation. They're the ones that have this vision, these blueprints from God, and they go and lay the foundation with the help of the prophets. But this kind of helped me understand it. And um, prophetic pioneering by um, Jeremiah Johnson, he described the prophets as seeing the body of Christ through the eyes of almost like a military leader that this this is war we're training for battle you are troops and so we need to go through some boot camp we need to do some hard things to prepare for this battle and I'm going to send you out that's how the apostle sees the body that is attending that church. It's his job to raise them up and prepare them to go out into battle and fight for the kingdom of God, where the role of a pastor, they see through the eyes of almost a hospital. There are people that God is bringing into here, into here, and we need to care for them. We need to meet their needs. We need to bandage wounds. And both are needed, but it's two very polar opposite personalities that are operating. And there are some cases where um, someone can carry the gift of prophet and pastor, but I say that that's kind of rare because the the apostle is very task driven. Like there, there is, we need to go and we need to fight. And so let's get ready armor up, suit up, and let's go, where the pastor is very people and needs driven and compassionate. And um, so it's two completely different functions that both need to be operating within the body. And you know what, what I have seen as I'm learning this is a lot of times the pastor and the evangelist, those personality types don't understand one another. And so there can be some, well, we need to run this guy off. Well, we need to run this guy off because they don't see eye to eye where we really need to see, hey, I have a different gift and a different calling, but we are to operate on the same team. And while I don't understand yours, I respect yours because it's a God-given calling. And so really you're thinking, well, Carrie, what does this have to do with me? Well, when you're reading scripture, I want you to understand the different roles roles, but also we can carry this into our own life, into our businesses, into our household with our children, into organizations that we're with, that there are going to be people that have different skill sets, different gifts and talents. And just because they are so different than yours does not mean that they can't blend together beautifully to accomplish an even bigger goal than one that we can imagine. So he goes right into this and remember he's still, we're still really addressing the Corinthians who are taking pride in who they are following. And, um, you know, while you're like, well, gosh, this is chapter four, Paul is writing this letter, not with chapters. So this is a continuation of this idea. And he is going to go and show how these apostles and, and teachers that are coming to them are nothing more than servants 
and managers. And so really that's what this whole first section is about is that they are stewards and managers. Nobody um, in this world, in the ancient Greek world, is going around and bragging about being or following a steward or servant or a manager. And so again, Paul is using this term for steward is it's hyperetes. I don't know. I butchered that, but it's H-Y-P-E-R-E-T-A-S, which is an unusual um, word for the word servant. It's not Paul's typical term that he uses. He usually uses D-O-U-L-O-S, which is a common slave. But in this chapter, twice, he is using this word that starts with an H, and that is the word of an under rower of a ship. That under rower, no one sees them. No one longs to be a follower of them and to raise their name high. But what their role is, is to hear from the leader and to row when they are told. And all of them have to row in unison. So Apollo, Cephas, um, Paul, they are all to listen to the master and to go and do what he says, when he says, and they need to work in unison. They need to work in unity so that the whole body of Christ can go in a certain direction. They need to cooperate together. He also says that he is a steward, and the idea here is um, someone who would run a property while the owner is either out or doing his own thing. Um, I loved that there was this definition to what a steward is. I think it paints a good picture. The steward is a slave to the master. Okay, so the master, he has to do whatever the master says, but he's a master to the rest of the slaves. So a steward is this middleman. He has to obey and take orders from the master, but then he has to turn around and give those orders and make sure the master's um, desires are carried out. And so he's kind of a boss to the rest of the slaves. While I was studying this, it made me think of Mr. Carson on Downton Abbey. For any Downton Abbey fans out there, that's really what I feel like Mr. Carson encompassed, and he did such a good job. It was his job to do a lot of paperwork, um, you know, buying and selling, um, working with budgets, doing all of these things for the manor, but he wasn't the owner of it. But what Paul is including in here is that that steward is called to be faithful. What in Dr. I mean, Dr. Carson wasn't Mr. Carson. For those of you that, that watch this, uh, if you don't know what I'm talking about, it's a good show to watch. And he's such a lovable character and he really, his job is his life. I mean, he carries it well with integrity and he is such a faithful manager of Downton Abbey. And that is what we are called to be are these faithful managers. We don't just get to go rogue. It's not us that we're, we're built. We're not building our kingdom. We're not building the kingdom of Carrie or the king, your own kingdom. We're building God's kingdom. So we hear from him. We, we move when he says move, we move how he says to move and we're going to be faithful doing it even in the hard times. And um, Paul here in um, chapter one, he mentions that we are managers of God's mysteries. Now, remember, we talked earlier in chapter two that they're very big on these mystery religions and there were initiations that you had to go through. And only then were you allowed to understand these secrets in these mystery religions where God has his own mysteries in the Old Testament. He wasn't he, he couldn't he couldn't just flat out say his plan because there is an enemy that is trying to kill steal and destroy um, God's seed, his offspring. And 
So he almost would, through the prophets, have this cryptic truth that would come out. And as Jesus was born and started fulfilling things, only and the Holy Spirit was given to man, it was then and only then that we could have eyes to understand the mysteries of God through his Messiah, Jesus. And so we are managers of those mysteries. So one, we need to be faithful. Um, and the first way to be faithful is not to busy ourselves doing the work of the kingdom, trying to build a big audience or following. We need to be faithful with spending time with him in the secret place um, through prayer, through reading his word, through meditating on his word and asking the Holy Spirit to give us revelation so that we can turn around and accurately lead the rest of the staff, which is the church body. Um, in verse three, he says, I care very little if I'm judged by you or any human court. I don't even judge myself. One of the things that the Corinthians were doing where they were judging Paul, a lot of them didn't really respect him, want to follow him. They wanted to follow other people that had looked the part of the Corinthians, you know, wealthy, all put together. Um, Paul had been shipwrecked and beaten and his clothes were tattered and he was a hard worker. He was working hard um, with the tent making. And um, so he doesn't, he doesn't really care about their outward judging. And then he says that he doesn't even judge himself. Um, one of the things that I was thinking is, um, you know, how many times do we miss the mark? Wait, maybe we are too soft on ourselves. And um, he was saying, I just leave all of that to God. He goes on to say that he has, he has a clear conscience. So, um, but that does not mean that he's innocent, meaning as of right now, he is not aware of anything in his life. The Holy Spirit hadn't shown him anything, but he would adjust accordingly when the Holy Spirit um, reveals these things to him, these blind spots. And um, he goes on to say, it is the Lord who judges me. And then in verse five, he says, judge nothing before the appointed time, meaning don't judge anything prematurely. Wait until the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and expose the motives of the heart. Okay, I want to sit here for a minute. Um, we're going to spend some time next chapter also talking about judging. On this side, he's saying, don't judge anything prematurely. I don't care if you judge me. I don't even judge myself. I'll leave that to God. In the next chapter, we are going to talk about what judging is not. Because the church today encompasses a lot of things that we are called to do as Christians, and they call that judging. Don't judge me. We're going to spend a lot of time talking about what we are called to do as Christians, but that does not fall in the category of judging. But right here, he's saying don't judge prematurely. And really, as I was thinking about this this morning and praying on it, it just kind of hit me because he says, don't judge prematurely. Wait until the Lord comes because he's going to bring to light things that are hidden in darkness. So <clears throat> really, um, I kind of was understanding this in an opposite view um, this morning, more or less. I was thinking, you know what? These Corinthians, they were following all of these people that looked the part, that walked the part. They were elevating them above the name of Jesus. And he's saying, don't, don't, they, they were truly judging them. They were saying, hey, this is somebody I want to follow. This is somebody I want to look like. And Paul's warning, hey, we, there's a possibility that we could judge people prematurely, be all in with them. And he's saying on that day, what is hidden in darkness will come to light. There might be hidden things in their lives that we don't need to imitate. We don't need to look like, and those will be exposed. The motives of the heart will be exposed on that judgment day. Remember, we talked last week, the day of the Lord is a, a, an exciting thing. 
for the believers. As believers, this is not a day that we're going to be judged on our sin. That has already been dealt with at the cross, and, and, and we are wiped clean. You know, we, we're looked at as a clean slate in the eyes of Jesus in his law. However, we will be judged on the deeds, on the work of the kingdom that we did. And things that we did with ulterior motives for ourselves will be burnt up. We already got that reward. But I love here, he says, at that time, on the day of judgment, each will receive praise from God. God is going to give us rewards based on the purity of how we served in. And this is something to look forward to. Um, but it is, again, this is a reminder that God looks at the motives of the heart and we are not allowed. Scripture lets, tells us clearly we are not allowed to judge people's motives. Only God can see that and know that. But the Corinthians were really good at judging people based on outward appearances and we can miss it. We can overlook somebody that God wanted to use like Paul. Somebody had been shipwrecked and beaten and maybe their clothes were a little bit tattered. But my goodness, he came with fire and a word from God. And sometimes we can get caught up following somebody that looks good, that sounds good, that has the funny stories, that that has it all, and they they have this hidden life of sin that could eventually, if we're following them, that spiritual connections can happen, and that sin can seep into our lives. Dr. Constable says, Paul reminds us to serve for the future approval of Jesus rather than the present praise of people. What we do, we do for Jesus. And that's something I'm always reminding my team that the Lord has placed on my heart. What we do, we are ministering to the Lord. That's what we're going to do. We're going to minister to the Lord. We're going to give 100%. This is a gift and an offering to him. And we're going to lift that up in prayer and say, Lord, touch other people through it. But what we do, we do for the Lord. It's easy to get caught up very easy to get caught up in doing it for man because it feels good when you get those accolades. Um, he, he goes on and talks about humility. And as I'm reading this, I'm just, I'm thanking God for all the humble people he's placed in my life. Um, I've had an absolute honor and privilege of having very special people in my life that I've had access to and close relationship with that just walk in humility and kindness. And I respect those people. I respect that attribute, that characteristic so much because when people walk in humility, you can literally hang on every word that they say. Um, and uh, the very first person in my life was my grandfather. That was, I mean, a man of God who just every ounce of his life was humble in humility and just got a picture of what a man of God is supposed to be. And then I got to see that in my, while my father looked very different, very different personality than my grandfather, I got to see that same trait where he just walked humbly and loved everyone. And I can't tell you the countless amount of conversations that we had in the home that, um, you know, my parents were strict on who was going to be our close friends because you become like the people you hang out with. But he was also very strict on we love everyone. Um, you know, we're, we're not going to just be mindful of the people in our group. We are going to be mindful of everyone around us, no matter what type of group they are in, no matter how they dress, no matter how they look. We are going to get to know them. We are going to um, talk to them. We are going to encourage them. 
and we are going to love them. And then I would say, again, another man in my life that looks very different from my grandfather and my dad, but he still walks in his way of humility is my husband. I've watched him walk in very diff- difficult situations and take the high road. Maybe, um, may- maybe where two people have done wrong and one person is not willing at all to admit it, he has walked in and just owned it all and said, it's on me. I'll take it all. I just want to bring unity. He's really done some hard things in this life um, where to people that, you know, on the outside looking in like they don't even deserve that, but he strives for unity and walks humbly. Um, and then just some different people that have poured in or have not poured into this ministry. I feel like that is a um, maybe an exaggeration, but people who I have reached out to for help in the ministry world who have gotten back to me and helped me and encouraged me. And Dr. Constable, I use his notes. He is someone who I just thought one day, I'm going to reach out and see if he'll um, help me with this situation. And that day reached out and helped work. I mean, just how humble he could say, I'm a very busy man. I don't have time for this. And then um, walking the text is an organization that leads trips, study trips, and they have podcasts and YouTubes on teachings in the Bible. Phenomenal. Um, Check them out. But they have always been so quick to help me work through theological issues. Just humility. They are here to serve. And that's, that's exactly what it is. That's, that's the heart. And a lot of times as, um, just leaders in this world, but this bleeds into ministry, we can somehow get this skewed and think the people are here to serve us and what a worldly way of thinking. And the people mentioned above, they all walked with, I'm here to serve others. Um, and Paul is saying, I've applied these things to me. And he goes and he lists um, various illustrations to describe he and Apollos. And none of them were titles worth giving any pride to. Um, He identified as a farmer, which is a hard worker. He identified as a builder, you know, uh, like a blue collar going in, using his hands, getting dirty to, to build the kingdom. He described himself as a servant and steward that we've already talked about. Um, and this, I was giggling as I was um, studying this and typing my notes out because um, a couple of years ago, I met someone in local in the in the city um, during an outreach project after um, an ice storm, and we were trying to partner with different organizations to um, to meet the needs of the people in our community, <coughs> and. So uh, I, I discovered this one organization, and so I ran out to see if we uh, could possibly help them, partner with them, and I met the leader of it, and I addressed her as Mrs. and her last name, and she quickly whipped around and said, I'm apostle prophetess in her name, and I thought, oh, this lady is interested in titles, and we just don't see that here. We Paul introduces his letters with the title apostleship, but he is just communicating what authority he comes to because he's about to in his letters he is about to have to have correction and rebuke and teaching and so he needs to identify who he is and what authority he comes in but you don't ever see him walking with this boastful this is my title for the rest of the letter he just calls himself Paul he doesn't address himself except when he needs to say this is the authority that I'm coming in but after that he's just Paul and um and he's a servant he sees himself as a servant to all but not for the the people that he is leading to serve him humility it's just beautiful it it, it goes such a long way and um 
I, we really see Paul um, walking in humility. I love seeing his transformation. In the book of Acts, there's a time that he is trying to reach um, some churches in Asia Minor, and the Holy Spirit stops him. Just door after door is blocked, and he has this vision of a man saying, come to Macedonia, come to Greece. Um, that's in Europe. And he goes there in obedience, and when he shows up, there is only women at the, the house of prayer. And if you know Paul, you know that he was raised in the Pharisee um, schooling. And the Pharisees every day, thank God that they weren't a Gentile. Um, they thanked God that they weren't a woman. And they thank God that they weren't something else. Well, here he is in Gentile world with only women. And that had been ingrained in him. Thank you, God, that I'm not a Gentile. Thank you that I'm not a woman. Yet the Holy Spirit brought him there and he was so that I mean, that took a great amount of humility for you to be brainwashed into one way of thinking. But to say, you know, I'm going to set that aside. The Holy Spirit has led me here and he preaches to this group of women and he ends up staying in the house of one, which culturally that was a no, no. And so Paul is just really breaking all kinds of barriers through humility, and he had to really walk in that. I don't think that was just something that he was born with. He had to put on humility. And so um, really, he's telling the Corinthians that you cannot look at the world's way of who to follow and who to elevate. Um, you have to look at God's system. And we do the same thing. This is a message for us today. Who are we following? And we can get so enamored by celebrity uh, pastors and um we need to find people who are humble, who are getting their hands dirty, and who walk as servants. Um, in verse 7, he asked them some questions. What makes you superior? Um, what do you have that you didn't receive? Like the gifts that they had, he mentions in chapter 1, there's some pretty good spiritual gifts. But remember who you got them from. That was a free gift that God bestowed to you, so steward it well. And instead of walking in pride, we should be walking in gratitude. Remember where that gift came from. And um, remember who gave it to you. And even down to salvation. Salvation, it's not that, oh, look how wise I am. I am. I chose Jesus. No, Jesus wooed me. He wooed you. No one comes to the Father except for the Holy Spirit wooing him. And so we need to even be grateful for that, that we he gave us eyes to see and a heart to yield to that. He goes on to say that he thinks um, he says, I think God displayed us, the apostles, in last place like men contemned to die. So he's going to paint a very, very clear picture on how this whole world of following Jesus, God's kingdom is upside down to the way that the world does it. It's complete opposite. And so instead of elevating these men, Apollos and Cephas and Paul, he's saying that God displayed us as men condemned to die. And what this is a picture of, and the people of this day would have known, it's imagery of an, a Roman arena where prisoners of war, and lastly, the the um, the leader of the army or the king of the, the, the people would be captive like criminals, and they would be paraded through the streets, and then they would be led into the Colosseum to fight unto death in the gladiator games. And Paul is saying that this is the life that you are signing up for when you say yes to the kingdom, that you have to suffer before glory comes. And 
um, we see this. If you have any questions like, oh, wow, I don't want to sign up for this. Just look at Christ's life. This is exactly the same picture that he led. In fact, that um, that whole Golgotha walk to the cross was basically mocking him like a Roman triumph. And he is a prisoner condemned to die to humiliate him. And um, so really that that suffering produces anointing oil and God gets glory through this. We are constantly dying and crucifying our ways so that we can operate in God's ways. And this is a picture of what Paul is saying whenever you sign up to be a follower of Christ. Paul is showing them that they are actually living the Corinthians for what the world is after, where the apostles are living a very different life. And he uses a wide um, group of opposites to display this, where the apostles live as fools to the world and the um, Corinthians are looking to the wise. And he says, we are weak, but you are strong. We are dishonored. You are distinguished. We are hungry. We are thirsty. We are poorly clothed. We look homeless. We labor with our hands. All of these are um, factors of men condemned to die for their um, their beliefs. Um, look around in this day and age. We've got to ask ourselves, who are we following? Are we following someone that Paul is describing? Now, there's two descriptions here. He's describing the fool, the weak, the dishonored, the hungry, the thirsty, the poorly clothed, the homeless, the laboring with hands as how the apostles are operating. He is describing the wise, the strong, the distinguished, and so on as what the Corinthians are looking for. Who are we following? Because we, we look in our culture for these same things, the prestige and the glam and the, the lights and all the fancy things. We are called to look for the people who are working with their hands, who are humble, and we are to follow them. In fact, in um, verse 16 of this chapter, Paul says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. I've heard people throughout their Christian walk say, well, I don't follow any man. I just follow Christ. And that's, that's a, a neat thing to say, but that just simply isn't true. We all are following someone. Someone has influence over us and is leading us. And just like in a family unit, you will look like who you follow. There are people who don't want to look like their parents at all, and they end up saying and acting just like their parents because that is what they were raised in. And we will end up looking like who we follow. So I choose to follow someone who just loves people well and will go and uh, muck homes after a storm. You know, they, they are willing not to just tell people to go do it, but they are willing to lead the way to walk in humility, to walk in love. That is who I want to follow because we will end up looking like who we follow. Um, he goes on to say, hey, we're going to be reviled. And when we are, we bless. When we're persecuted, we endure. When we're slandered, we respond graciously. When we are treated like garbage to the world, like the dirt under their shoe. Again, Christ's way is so different. Then he goes on, and I'm wrapping up, but we're, they, these are long, longer, they're not really long chapters, but there's a lot to unpack here. He is about to hit them hard on some, some really serious topics, and so he wants to remind them that he's coming to them as a father 
caring for them. He um, compares this to um, what he's saying he is not is um, someone who is just an instructor. Like in this world, there would be a paid person that would be in a, gu a guardian to the children in the family and they would escort the boys um, to and from school and supervise their conduct. And he's saying, I'm not that that is not my role here. My role is that of a father. I care for you. And I really believe that this generation is absent of spiritual mothers and fathers who will teach and instruct and correct and walk alongside of. We we need this desperately. Let me paint you a picture. We all are called to be a part of the local church. And at the local church, you receive information. It's information you are receiving, but we need someone to go with us alongside of us Monday through Saturday so that we can see how to walk this out. Um, I always think of this, um, like we're in volleyball, we're a volleyball family right now. And I can't imagine a scenario where my girls go to a volleyball class and receive instruction. You know, there's a whiteboard and saying, okay, this is a set and drawing a picture of a set. And, um, you know, we, we need to bump the ball and then we get it to the setter and just give them instructions without ever being on a court to put this in play. So, so that they would not know what to do if it was only a classroom setting, but you go to a gym and you practice and you have a coach that is literally showing you by example, she will bump, she will set. Um, and then when the player does something and they do it incorrectly, the coach immediately comes in and says, Hey, you need to, um, you know, hold your arms this way. And this is what you did wrong the, on this play. This is what you look like. And the coach will show them. And then this is what it's supposed to look like. Well, we need that in the body of Christ. We go and get instructions on Sunday morning, but we need mothers and fathers to show us how to walk this out. And in fact, Dr. Constable said something even in his notes that in, he's a seminary professor or was retired, but he says that he sees so many students who cannot make the connection between what they learned and how to live it out. And he had this beautiful example of this man that was going to walk out of ministry because he did not understand. He had the head knowledge he was forgiven for his sins, but did not understand what that looked like practically because no one had walked alongside of him and someone did. His advisor ended up walking with him and he was able to make that connection from what he learned in the school to how to walk it out. We need mothers and fathers to imitate that. We're called to do that. Um, something that we have to ask ourselves, are we living a life worth imitating? Are we living a life worth imitating? And I encourage you, if you are not, you can change that. We all need someone to follow. So get someone in your life. Don't pick out the person that's flashy and, oh, they're so cool. And they're this and that by the world standards. Take a look and say, who's gentle with their children? Who treats their wife well? Who respects their husband? Who is always behind the scenes cleaning up? And so like, look at these things and then invite that person into your life so that you can look like them. Paul ends up sending Timothy to them and says, hey, this is, I'm sending my son to you. He walks like his father. I want you to walk like him. And he's really putting in a word for Timothy because remember in this list of people that they're fighting over following, Timothy's not even named and he's afraid they're going to miss a precious opportunity to learn from this man. How many precious opportunities do we miss and overlook because somebody doesn't have all the credentials and have the look? Let's look for the things that are important to Christ and follow them. In wrapping up, 
he says, you are all acting like I'm not returning. And he is planning on returning. And I love what he tells them. He says, I will know if you are operating in pride or the spirit. He'll know when he shows up. And the evidence will be if they have power or not. Are they operating in power? And again, I've been telling you, this is what I'm feeling is missing in the church in America. I read in Acts and I just don't see that power. And I want to, I want to see it in my life. I want to see it in the global church's life. And he says, I will know if you are walking in the spirit or operating in pride. So I cannot help but wonder how long has the church, including myself, been operating in man's way which is prideful. And what would happen if we humbled ourselves and said, Holy Spirit, you show us how to operate. If, if our services want to go for two, if you want our services to go for two hours, would be, we be, be willing to do that? If you said, shut it all down, all the smoke and the lights and the fanciness, would we be willing to do that? If you say, we're going to go out, we're going to spend the, like less staff members and we're going to spend the money to pour in the community, would we be willing to do that? He is going to be able to tell if they're walking by spirit or by pride, by their power. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. I want that power. And then at the last, he concludes with what kind of dad do you want? I'm coming to you. Do you want the dad with the rod or do you want the, the dad that comes with a love, um, in love with a gentle spirit? And he's basically saying, Corinthian church, you decide. You get to get your act together. I'm giving you instructions. You can humble yourselves and walk by the spirit, or you can continue walking in your ways. And that is going to determine what kind of dad I'm going to be. I'm looking forward to next week because we are really, really, really going to um, have a good talk. This was It's a tough chapter. And um, you're going to squirm a little. We squirmed a little. And we're going to talk about what judging people is compared to what we are actually called to do, which is to rebuke sin and brothers and sisters lives and how we go about doing it. It's going to be fun. Tune in, read your chapter. I'll see you next week. Happy reading.